good. Okay, so my name is John. Again, if you entered the room late, um, and I'm on staff here with community development, so that's the stuff I get to do. Um, and occasionally I get to preach, and this is a real pleasure and fun to be here with you all. So let me start by just telling you a little bit about something about myself. Uh, and this may be true of many of you as well. So one of the things that's true about me is that I love, I'm just kind of a sucker for, a good origin story. And an origin story, uh, if you're not familiar with that term, is any story that explains how uh, something or someone has come to be what or, or who they are. And my guess is in this room, we all have these stories. We probably don't call them by that name, but we have these stories. Maybe they're stories about how you uh, or your family ended up in our country. Or maybe it's a story about how uh, you ended up in the home that you're in or you know, the community that you're in here in Dane County or in the area. Uh, or maybe it's a story about how you ended up as part of the Door Creek family, right? And you just love to tell that story, and it's just a lot of fun, and it kind of explains who you are. And it really can be any story that kind of, again, explains how you've come to be who you are today. Um, now, one of the stories that my wife and I most love to tell is our origin story of how we first met uh, as a couple. Now, this goes back a couple years. Um, so we were both students at the UW. She was a freshman, and uh, I was a junior with hair. And uh, actually, this is so funny. So somebody in the last service came up to me who knew me at that time. And like, he was like, you didn't have that much hair. <laughs> I was like, wow, truth telling. Come on, what's happening here? Uh, but I did have a little bit. Anyways, so we were at this Christmas party and my wife, uh, Mary, uh, her sister, uh, was putting on a Christmas party. Who's my age. And so I was there with all my roommates and um, we were huddled in some back corner hanging out with our, ourselves because uh, we were cool like that. And uh, at some point in the night, Mary entered the house with her really cool boyfriend. And uh, she'll deny that it was love at first sight um, because it wasn't. Uh, but both of us, oh, and actually, as we look back in the night, if we're honest, like neither of us even remember talking that night. Uh, we don't remember too many details. But for both of us, that night stands out as a really part, important part of our story because it's where we first met. And uh, it, it's not a quick story. So it was nine years later before we started even dating. And then it was on this day, 10 years ago, that uh, I proposed and she said yes. And then we got married about nine months after that. And we love to retell that story and tell anybody who's willing to listen to it. Because if it wasn't for that party 18 years ago now, uh, we don't know where we would be today. And many of us have stories like that. And the reason I bring that up is because the story we're going to look at in Scripture today is a little bit like that. It's a story that's been told and retold and retold and retold by generation after generation of God's people. And it reminds us how we've gotten to be where we are. It reminds us where we've come from. And we're also going to see a characteristic of God that very much relates to our lives today. So take your Bibles or your phones or whatever you're tracking with and turn to Genesis 24. Genesis 24. All right, now if you've been with us at all over the last now couple months, I guess, uh, we've been going through the story of Abraham and Sarah, and we're almost at the end. In fact, next week will be the last week on this. And throughout the story of Abraham, we have seen God repeatedly and repeatedly remind Abraham that he wants to bless him and make him into a great nation, and then through him bless all people, including us. And the first example of that blessing is given, or that promised blessing, rather, is given in Genesis 12, 2. It says this, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. 
And now in, in chapter 24, what we're going about to look through today, uh, we're going to be entering the very end of Abraham's life. And what we're going to see is that indeed he has been blessed in many, many ways. But, and here's where the drama comes in, the fulfillment of God's promise hangs by a thread. Now, some of you may recall that Abraham and Sarah miraculously had a, a son in their old age uh, named Isaac. And then in chapter 23, um, Sarah, Abraham's wife, dies, and Abraham acquires a small plot of land to bury her, her body in. And so in those two things, we see the fulfillment of God's promise starting to come true, right? They have an offspring, and they have a small amount of land. However, for his family to grow into a great nation, Isaac has to get married and start having some kids. And for that to happen, as we're going to see, is a little bit more complicated than it sounds. So again, take your Bibles and Genesis 24. We'll start in verse 1. If you want to just follow along with me. 24, verse 1. Abraham was now very old, and the Lord had blessed him in every way. He said to the senior servant in his household, the one in charge of all that he had, put your hand under my thigh. I want you to swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not get a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I'm living, but will go to my country and my own relatives and get a wife for my son Isaac. Okay, let me just quick pause there and unpack a little bit of what's going on here because this, this is a little bit complicated. So um, first of all, apparently Abraham is now too old to travel himself. Otherwise, this is something probably he would have done. So instead, he calls in his most trusted servant and sends him on this important mission to find a wife for his son. And for Abraham, it's incredibly important that his son marries into somebody from his extended family so that... Neither Isaac nor the coming generations are just going to be absorbed into the local tribes and their customs and, and their religions. And essentially, their people would just kind of disappear. It's also important to Abraham that Isaac stay on this land, right? Because this land is, is the land that is God's promised land to Abraham and, and in the future generations. And in fact, Abraham's uh, request is so important that he has his... His servants swear that he's going to keep his word and keep uh, to Abraham's wishes. And then instead of closing the deal with a handshake, the text tells us literally that he has him swear by it by putting his hand on his genitals, which is actually in the text, right? Uh, that's very strange. And let me just tell you this. Don't do that <laughs> in any business deals you have today, okay? Very different culture. Strange but true, y'all. It's in the Bible. Okay. What I love is all three services, when I say that, people are like, oh. they're quickly going back and reading and being like, I don't see that. Um, but that's what under my thigh means. Okay, so verse five. Uh, the servant asked him, what if the woman is unwilling to come back to me in this land? Shall I then take your son back to the country where you came from? Make sure that you do not take my son back there, Abraham said. The Lord, the God of heaven, who brought me out of my father's household and my native land, and who spoke to me and promised me on oath, saying, To your offspring I will give this land. He, he will send his angel before you so that you can get a wife for my son from there. If, if the woman is unwilling to come back with you, then you will be released from my oath, or this oath of mine. 
only do not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of his master, Abraham, and swore an oath to him concerning this matter. Now, if you, again, have been kind of tracking with us on the, the story of Abraham, you've seen that Abraham has had some extreme highs and some extreme lows in his relationship with God. And here, at the end of his life, what we see is that he's expressing this really mature, confident faith in God's promises. He believes that God will provide. And I especially love verse 8 because what it reveals is that Abraham believes that God is going to provide even if it's not exactly according to Abraham's plan. Okay, so now the stage is set. As we, the listener, the reader, are dropping into the story, the question becomes, will God be faithful to Abraham once again? And just as importantly, and maybe more importantly, will God be faithful to the next generation and beyond? Let's read on verse 10. Then the servant left, taking with him 10 of his master's camels, loaded, loaded with all kinds of good things from his master. He set out from Aram Naharim and made his way to the town of Nahor. He had the camels kneel down near the well outside the town. It was toward evening, the time the women go out to draw water. Then he prayed, Lord, God of my master Abraham, make me successful today and show kindness to my master Abraham. See, I, I'm standing beside this spring and the daughters of the townspeople are coming out to draw water. May it be that when I say to a young woman, please let down your jar that I may have a drink. And she says, drink, and I'll give water to your camels too. Let her be the one that you have chosen for your servant Isaac. By this, I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. Okay, let me just pause here for a second, because this is, this is so cool. This is so fascinating, and also kind of easy to miss because of the cultural differences. So uh, it would have been normative for somebody who was traveling a long distance like this and coming into a town uh, and coming up to the well to ask for a drink and get it, right? That, in their context, that was just kind of normal hospitality. Nothing really strange there. However... The sign that the servant asked for uh, beyond that is way outside of the cultural norms. It was not at all normal for someone to offer to give water to the camels as well. And so, what happens? Verse 15. Before, before he had finished praying, Rebekah came out with her jar on her shoulder. She was the daughter of Bethuel, son of Milcah, who was the wife of Abraham's brother Nahor. The woman was very beautiful, a virgin. No man had ever slept with her. She went down to the spring, filled her jar, and came up again. The servant hurried to meet her and said, Please, give me a little water from your jar. Drink, my lord, she said, and quickly lowered the jar to her hands and gave him a drink. After she had given him a drink, she said, I'll draw water for your camels, too, until they've had enough to drink. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough, ran back to the well to draw more water, and drew enough for all his camels. Without saying a word, the man watched her closely to learn whether or not the Lord had made his journey successful. Now I just want to point out here that what Rebecca does in this scene is actually above and beyond what the servant had even prayed for, right? He prays that she'll offer water to the camels. She offers water until the camels had had enough. Now, 
By conservative estimates, historians tell us that this would have taken Rebecca about 80 to 100 trips back and forth from the well to give these camels enough water. So this would have taken hours for her, her to fulfill this task. And at this point in the story, it's as if God wants to just make it very, very clear to us. So there's no room for confusion for us, for the servant, for anybody involved with this. He is involved. He is active. He's moving and he's accomplishing his goodwill in a way that's like shocking, that's surprising, that is unexpected. Let's read on verse 22. When the camels had finished drinking, the man took out a gold nose ring weighing a becca and two gold bracelets weighing 10 shekels. Now, let me just really quickly point this out because it's going to impact the next part of the story. The value of this gift was uh, greater than an average worker's annual salary. So this is a very kind gift that has just been given. Verse 23. Then he asked, whose daughter are you? Please tell me, is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? She answered him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son that Milcah bore to Nahor. And she added, we have plenty of straw and fodder as well as room for you to spend the night. Okay, okay, y'all, listen. Let me just pause here again. Because we're reading the Bible, sometimes we just kind of like come to assume these things, right? Like we're like, the Bible, God does things, it's cool, whatever. And it doesn't like impact us for how truly amazing it, this is. But as we're reading the story, this is incredible, Right? What is happening here is actually beyond what Abraham or the servant has even hoped for or prayed for. This is like narrowing in, on, and God is answering above and beyond that in incredible ways. Because in this part of it, we find out that this woman is not only a relative, because that was important, right? But her grandfather is Abraham's brother. And so in light of all that's happening, whether it's watering the camels or the fact that this woman, the one woman he walked up to is this kind of relative, the servant responds appropriately in worship. So verse 26. Then the man bowed down and worshiped the Lord, saying, Praise be to the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not abandoned his kindness and faithfulness to my master. As for me, the Lord has led me on the journey to the house of my master's relatives. The young woman ran and told her mother's household about these things. Now Rebecca had a brother named Laban. And he hurried out to the man at the spring as soon as he had seen the nose ring and the bracelets on his sister's arms and had heard Rebecca tell what the man said to her. He went to the man and found him standing by the camels near the spring. Come, you who are blessed by the Lord, he said. Why are you standing out here? I've prepared the house and a place for the camels. Okay, so at this point in the story, we have seen God working in, in incredible ways, right? His fingerprints are all over what's happening. But the story's not done yet because Rebecca has not been pledged in marriage. And now Laban enters the story. Laban is Rebecca's brother. And uh, he's not quite as pious as he sounds. And, and verse 30 kind of clues us into that. So Rebecca, Laban, when he sees the gifts that his sister's been given, he sees a financial opportunity. So he runs out to welcome this guy in, offer him hospitality, likely in hopes that it's going to lead to more wealth for him and his family. So there's a little bit of a twist at this point in the story. Let's continue on, verse 32. So the man went to the house, and the camels were unloaded. Straw and fodder were brought for the camels, and water for him, and his men to wash their feet. 
Then food was set before him, but he said, I will not eat until I have told you what I have to say. Then tell us, Laban said. And then let me just, for the sake of time, let me summarize uh, verses 34 through 49. So this is actually um, the longest chapter in all of Genesis. And this next section, basically what happens is the, the servant retells the exact same story we just read. Um, almost word for word, starting with how his master has sent him out on this incredibly important journey to find a wife uh, for his son, uh, up through how his prayer has been miraculously answered through Rebecca at the well. And while the story is very, very similar and being repeated in the first parts and second part of this chapter, uh, there are a few differences that are, are really important um, and easy to miss. And what they do is they point us out to the fact that this servant was actually a really shrewd negotiator. Right? He knows who he's dealing with. He probably has a sense of who Laban is and who Rebecca's mom is. And so in this conversation, he points out in subtle ways that his master Abraham is very wealthy. Right? So this is, this is a good match. This is in your interest because my master is rich. And also he points out why Isaac is not married yet because based on uh, Abraham's age, Isaac should be really old. But he's like, no, 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 my master had a son in his very old age. So my, my son or master's son is appropriate marrying age. And then he also points out how Rebecca is this unique and perfect match. He's not like, hey, send us off to another family. He's like, you're the perfect fit family. And so after he, he, he has this case and retells this story, he ends with a plea for them to give Rebecca in marriage. And they give their answer in verse 50. So if you skip down to that, verse 50. Laban and Bethuel, again, that's Rebecca's mom. Laban and Bethuel answered, this is from the Lord. We can say nothing to you one way or the other. Here is Rebecca. Take her and go. Let her become the wife of your master's son as the Lord has directed. Again, again, wow. Like God is moving in incredible ways, right? This is, not, this is way outside of traditional ways that these sort of things, the time, the distance, uh, the fact that these just met and now they're saying, yes, this is God. This is God. We can't, this, is, this is God. What are we going to say? Take her. Make, uh, let's make this marriage happen. And then the next few verses, uh, the servant does indeed give them expensive gifts and they spend the night. So let's skip down to verse uh, 54. When they got up the next morning, he said, send me on my way to my master. But her brother and mother replied, let the young woman remain with us 10 days or so and then you may go. But he said to them, do not detain me now that the Lord has granted success on my journey. Send me on my way so that I may go to my master. Now let me just uh, again pause there because there's some challenging things in the translation here, especially in this verse about could you wait 10 days. So some scholars uh, disagree about this and, and some would say that this was actually a request to say for a much longer time, uh, maybe an indefinite amount of time, maybe a couple months. We're not quite sure. And also based on what we learn about Laban later on in Genesis, this could have been a ploy uh, for Laban and Bethuel to try to take advantage of the service servant and the wealth that was under his care. It's a little unclear exactly what's happening here, but what's not unclear is that the servant is eager to get back to his master. He wants to fulfill his mission. But before that happens, we see yet another kind of strange twist in verse 57. So here's what happens next in the story. Then they said, let's call the young woman and ask her about it. So they called Rebecca and asked her, will you go with this man? And these next three words are so incredibly powerful. I will go, she says. 
Now, this is a strange twist in the story because this is not something that traditionally would have been asked of a bride who was being given in marriage, right? She wasn't usually part of that decision-making process in this culture in this time. And yet, for whatever reason, they ask her. And her response has some very, very clear and, and close parallels with Abraham's response when he's called by God. Because remember, he's called to follow God and go to another land. And, God, and Abraham says, I will go. And she gives the same answer. And little does she know that in this step of faith that she is joining God's story to redeem and bless the entire world. What a beautiful picture of when sometimes we step out in faith, how God used that in the story that we don't even know that we're entering. Verse 59. So they sent their sister Rebekah on her way along with her nurse and Abraham's servants and his men. And they blessed Rebekah. And then again in this blessing, uh, there's some very clear parallels between the blessing given to Rebekah and earlier blessings giving, been given to Abraham. And then that we see and come to the end of the story, uh, starting with verse 61. <clears throat> then Rebekah and her attendants got ready, mounted the camels, and went back with the man. So the servant took Rebekah and left. Now Isaac had come from Beer Lahai Roy, for he was living in the Negev. He went out to the field one evening to meditate. And as he looked up, he saw camels approaching. Rebekah also looked up and saw Isaac. She got down from her camel and asked the servant, Who is that man in the field coming to meet us? He's my master, the servant answered. So she took her veil and covered herself. Then the servant told Isaac all that he had done. Isaac brought her into the tent of his mother Sarah, and he married Rebekah. So she became his wife, and he loved her. And Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Okay, so the chapter then ends with Isaac and Rebekah being brought together in marriage. And there's this really beautiful thing in verse uh, 67, where it's the very first mention in all of Scripture of uh, love within the context of marriage because their marriage unions were very different and yet we see this it's again this relationship is beyond above and beyond what was even hoped or asked for and what we see in this process is this very clear picture of how God has been involved in what is happening and there's no doubt in this story that God has been able to bring about his good will despite despite the challenging circumstances and that truth that truth very much relates to us today Right? Because the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Rebekah, the God of this unnamed servant is the same God today. And God continues to still be in control and able, able to bring about his goodwill no matter how challenging the circumstances may seem to us. But I, I don't know about you all, but like for me, that's really easy to forget, isn't it? Especially... Um, it can be easy to forget that God's in control and able to bring about his goodwill if we're going through hard times. And for many of us in this room, uh, Christmas is probably the hardest time of the year. Or for others of us, we can forget that God is in control and able to bring about his goodwill no matter the circumstances, just because of the pace of our life, right? Like the, we're just too Busy, especially, I don't know about you all, although I'm guessing this time of year can be one of the, the worst as far as just business. If it's uh, Christmas parties for work or with friends or things with your kids or, or school or, or traveling or hosting or cooking or cleaning up or shopping, 
Oh, you guys, it's just like tiring to just say all that, right? And that's my calendar. Anybody else relate to that? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, it's just, a, it's, it can be an insane time of year. And in the midst of all the busyness, even if it's good stuff, in the midst of all of it, it can be so easy to forget what is most important. But if we remember this truth that God is in control and able to bring about his goodwill and allow that truth to kind of seep into the fabric of our lives, get into the bones of who we are, that truth has the power to transform us. It has the power to help us to become more humble people, to be more hopeful people, generous people, people who are filled with with grace and with peace. And isn't that what we want? Isn't that what we long for? And so the, how, how do we know what God's good will is? And how do we get it ingrained into our lives? Uh, Romans 12, 2 says this. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Okay, so then the question becomes, how do we renew our minds? Well, let me just give you two kind of practical tips that I just encourage you to consider uh, picking at least one of these, maybe both of them. Uh, and there's lots of different things that we could be doing, right? These, I just picked out two things that have been uh, helpful in my life as well as I've observed helpful in other people's lives in, in all my time in ministry. Now, the first practical tip is going to sound so simple, y'all, it's going to be like easy for you to, th- to ignore it. It's also so important and so easy to forget, and it's this, is that we might become the kind of people as a community and as individuals that make up that community that immerse ourselves in stories of God's faithfulness found throughout Scripture. So whether it's stories like today, or this is really the perfect time of year to do this, the Christmas story. So here's where I want to just get really, really, really practical with y'all and and encouraging you to consider doing this. So between now and Christmas, we've got two weeks, right? Between now and Christmas, what I'd love to encourage you to do is read and reread the Christmas story every day for the next two weeks. Um, And maybe just to keep it fresh, you try some new translations uh, or you read it out loud or maybe you read it to each other. Uh, There's lots of kind of fun ways that you can kind of, or you can listen to it. There's lots of fun ways to kind of keep it fresh. And as you read it and reread it, what I'd encourage you to do is read it through this lens. How do you see God bringing about his goodwill despite the circumstances? A virgin birth, (laughs) an unmarried couple, a family of poverty, controlled by a foreign power, with a local leader that wants to kill your son, no room in the manger, or no room in the inn, right? And those circumstances continue on and on. And yet, God is able to bring about his goodwill despite all that. So here's the, the encouragement, is that we be a people that read and reread and reread and reread and listen to and tell and read the stories of God's faithfulness throughout Scripture. And as we see these stories of God's power recorded in history, it has this effect on us. It naturally deepens our faith in God and gives us a firm foundation so when hard stuff happens, we're in a good place. And what it reminds us over and over again, just like the story from today, is that God's in control and we're not. And sometimes, sometimes that's like an uncomfortable truth, right? Because we like to be in control. But if we're honest with ourselves, if I'm honest with myself, the world would not be better off if I was in control. (laughs) We would all be, and I'm so glad you're not in control. 
right? It's such a good thing. So, so that's the challenge, is to, that we'd be a people that immerse ourselves in the stories of God's faithfulness by reading the Christmas story for the next couple of weeks. Here's the second challenge, second practical tip, is that we would be a people that tell and listen to the right stories. Now, I love this insight. Uh, this is not necessarily biblical. It's just uh, observation. I think this is true from my life experience. And it's this, that we become the stories that we tell ourselves. Uh, or at least very much we are influenced by the stories we tell ourselves. Um, so here's an example. So before working here, I uh, worked in student ministry for a long time. And one of the things that I got to do uh, every summer was help put on a, a camp, uh, a service camp here in Madison for middle school students. And one of the things that we would do uh, during that camp every night is we'd end our day by having an open mic time. And we'd encourage students to come up and share God stories throughout the day that they'd seen during that day. And we had one rule during this time, and it was this, uh, that students could not come up and share stories uh, where they were at the center of the story, where it was really about themselves. Because um, we wanted to prevent stories like this. Um, today, I saw God in amazing ways when I was patient and generous with Billy, who doesn't have any friends and smells bad. Um, praise God. <laughs> amazing. Do you guys like my middle school voice? Is that good? Yeah, that's good. I just, I gotta say this. If there's any middle school students in the room, I just want to say I love you guys. You, for real, you're like my favorite. So, um, but, but I got to be witness to this amazing pattern week after week, year after year, when we would do this within this context. And it was this, is at the beginning of the week when we start telling God stories, they were terrible. But... Throughout the week, it was as if, like, just upon practice, as well as the students' eyes just being slightly refocused on something other than what it usually was, they started to see God in small and big ways all around them. And by the end of the week, these stories were like a hundredfold better than at the beginning of the week. It was so fun to be witness to that. So here's my encouragement to you, is that for this coming week. Start today, maybe, just so you don't forget. Uh, whether it's as a family, as a couple, uh, in your small group, with some friends, however you want to do it, just for one week, spend a few minutes of your day telling God stories. It could be as simple as this. Just answer the question, how did you see God today? And uh, maybe a helpful filter for that would be um, be on the lookout for the fruit of the Spirit. If you're not even sure where to start, just be on the lookout for the fruit of the Spirit. So look for stories about where did you see love today? Where did you see joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, or self-control? And then tell those stories. And here's what I want to warn you right now, because I've seen this happen and I've, I've experienced this in my own family. When you first start this, your stories probably won't be very good. That's okay. Power through for at least one week. And here's what I, I think is very likely going to happen in your experiences. Over the course of this week, what you're going to see is that due to practice and your eyes just being a little bit refocused, that your stories increasingly are going to be where you're seeing God in small and big ways all around you. And you're going to realize that God is living and active now, just like in the stories that we read today from Genesis. And also, you're going to be so encouraged, very likely, because you're going to realize that you are part of God's redemptive story happening in the world. 
And if you do this, I would love to uh, just ask you, if you remember, uh, shoot me an email and let me know how it goes, whether it's really great or really bad. If it's really bad, uh, it's great. I'll file it away as like something never to encourage our church to do again. Uh, and if it's really great, it'll be encouraging. But I'd, just, I'd love to hear how it goes uh, if, if you remember to do that. As a community, as individuals, as we immerse ourselves in stories of God's faithfulness throughout the Bible, as we increasingly become a kind of place and a group of people that's just telling each other God's stories all the time, what's going to happen is more and more we're going to be grounded in this truth that God is able to bring about his good will no matter how unlikely it may seem to us and no matter how impossible it is for us to accomplish on our own means. And that, my friends, is incredibly good news and a source of great hope. So let me pray for us. Father God, I praise you again that you are the same God listening to these words as the God who orchestrated the, the marriage of Isaac and Rebekah. You're the same God today as you were at that well so long ago. And we just praise you for that. We praise you that you are active in our world and our lives uh, and you are able to bring about your goodwill even when it may seem impossible or overwhelming to us because it is to us but not to you. And I just pray that you would help us as a community, as a church, to have the eyes to see how you are moving in our lives and the world around us, that we might give you glory and praise. And I also just want to add that we look forward to your return, that one day you are going to wipe away every tear, you're going to right every wrong, and that you will end all pain and that we will be with you. And until that time, God, help us to be a people who are faithful to you in small ways and in big ways. In your name. Amen.